Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. There we go. All right. Um, the reason I played that video is we are getting ready to embark on a series that will take us from now until the end of November on the book of Leviticus. Now, I understand that that probably puzzles you because Leviticus is a strange book. Can we agree on that? It's an odd book for our day and age. It ranks right up there with a the number of the prophets in the book of Revelation. It was one of those confusing books out there. And as somebody who's been doing this for, for 20 years now, uh, when I try to get people to read through the Bible, one of the things they do is they typically go to Genesis 1 and they try to read all the way through Revelation. And when they get to Genesis, they're okay, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. They get to Genesis 3, there's the talking snake. They kind of freak out about that. And then, you know, they get through all that, and they're okay until they get to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there's some weird stuff that happens there that they don't like, but they get through it. And then they get to Exodus. And they're okay with Exodus because Exodus is, is a drama, right? You've got the people of God, they've been enslaved, and, and they're enslaved by this totalitarian state headed by Pharaoh. And then all of a sudden, you've got this former Egyptian prince who's been exiled. He's out in the desert, and he's like 80 years old, and he's got a stutter, we think. And, and, you know, and, and so then, you know, uh, God shows up and says, you, you go to Pharaoh, and you tell Pharaoh, set my people free. And Moses is like, me? He's like, yes, you. And Moses is like, I don't think so. And he goes, get going or you're going to die. And so Moses goes, okay. And then he goes. And then we have that battle between God and the false gods of the Egyptians that we call the plagues. And, and we have all of that. And people were into all of that. And then, and then, you know, they, they cross the river that parts, right? You've seen the Charlton Heston movie, right? The, the, the Red Sea parts and they cross. And, and then the Egyptians try to follow because Pharaoh changes his mind, and then Pharaoh goes for a nasty swim, and, and then they go out, and they're tempted, and you're all good until you get to about Exodus 25. There in the next six chapters, I've had people tell me, because it's all about the building of the tabernacle, and they're like, Matt, why do I have to read like an ancient architecture manual, right? Why is this scripture? I'm just like, push through, push through, there's a reason, and so we get through that, and they're good. Then the rest of Exodus, they're good with. you got the golden calf right? There's some drama there. And then they get to Leviticus. And so I'll check up on people. I'll call them. I'll text them. How's it going? Uh, can I skip Leviticus? Nope. I don't get it. I said, I understand. Just keep pushing through. And people don't get it. And it has often been the main target of criticism by atheists because they don't understand it. And I understand that. I, would, I understand why atheists don't understand Scripture, because Scripture is very clear. Unless you have come to faith and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't understand Scripture. The, the Bible says that. So I don't expect atheists to understand Scripture. But then when I talk to Christians, and they start quoting from Leviticus it pains me that these Christians don't understand Leviticus either. And, and there's a problem there. Qu Christians will quote Leviticus to prohibit all kinds of things. Tattoos, certain foods, working on day, certain days of the week, 
all that kind of stuff. And, and these Christians, typically, they mean well. They're, they're good people. But I don't think that's what the book is teaching. And then, even worse, I see this come out when there are like Facebook memes from their unbelieving friends, and they're especially quoting from Leviticus, and they have a tendency to feel like they've been offended, and so they have to respond, and then they respond, and they respond badly. Which, by the way, almost any argument you start on Facebook is responding badly. Nobody has ever won an argument on Facebook, ever. You may think you did because they walked away and they didn't respond. No, they just said, oh, they're a jerk, and they just quit responding. Them thinking you a jerk is not winning. And so here are some Facebook memes that I've seen over the years that have quoted Leviticus from atheists. Here's one. Bible don'ts and do's. Don't. Homosexuality, Leviticus 18.22. Don't. Eat shellfish, Leviticus 11, 9 through 12. Don't. Shave. Uh, Leviticus 19.27. Don't eat pork. Leviticus 11.7. Don't wear mixed fabrics. 11.19.19. Do. Child abuse. Do. Slavery. Do. Rape. Do. Prejudice. Do. Misogyny. Um, that guy's scratching his head for a reason. He does not understand what he's read. Next one. Leviticus 13.19. And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, the stork, the heron, after its kind, the hoopy, and the bat. And so this guy puts a meme together, dear God, this is not a bat, yours, science. Okay, there's a problem there, and the problem here is this. Uh, Leviticus, if you don't know, was written in Hebrew, not English. And the Hebrew word there basically says, when it says they're birds, it actually says flying things, not Birds, flying things, and we can all agree those are all flying things, correct? Uh, so I almost, put, I wanted, I didn't, self-control got the better of me. I almost said, dear atheist, this is grammar, yours Matt, um, but I let it go. I let it go. Next one. Oh, you got a tattoo of a verse of scripture? Leviticus 19.28, which prohibits tattoos. What does this person think? This person thinks Leviticus 19.28 still prohibits tattoos. This person does not understand Leviticus 19.28 or the two testaments, but I do like Willy Wonka, so I'll give him that. Okay. So, our goal here uh, with this series over the next uh, few weeks is so that you at least have a rudimentary kind of 30,000-foot understanding of what Leviticus is about. And so I don't expect you to, like, go home and be like every night, like, just, oh, Leviticus is a page-turner. It's not. I get it. But you do need to understand what this book is really teaching and why and how or if it applies today. And so that's where we're going. We'll get done with that. We'll go back to the Gospel of Luke. We'll talk about Jesus a lot, and you'll be happy. But till then, we're going to be talking about Leviticus. And what I want you to do is understand the book so that you can graciously, I'm emphasizing graciously, graciously converse with people about this. Make sense? Let me emphasize that again. Graciously discuss this, which means you don't do it on Facebook. Right? All right. Now, 
The key to understanding any book of the Bible, in fact, the key to understanding any book, period, is this. You have to put anything you read into context. Everything has to be put in context. What do I mean by that? All right, here's one thing I mean by that. Let's say that a wife comes home, and there's a note on the counter, and the first thing it says is, I've left. And the wife freaks out. She starts crying first, and then she's like, I'll get him. You know, she goes through like the, all the stages of grief in like 30 seconds. And then she finally calls her husband and says, how dare you? How dare you after all these years of marriage? And all that guy says, she goes, what are you talking about? You said you've left. He goes, did you read the rest of the notes that I've left for the store? Call me if you need anything. My point is this. You cannot just read one line out of a paragraph and understand what that line means, correct? You have to read the whole paragraph. The line only makes sense within the paragraph. But the thing is, if it's a book, the paragraph only makes sense with the other paragraphs. So you have to put it all together from beginning to end. That's part of understanding a book in context. You know, I see basketball players, football players, baseball players, and they have Philippians 4.13 everywhere. Do all things through God who strengthens me. The problem with that is they think that means I can hit three-pointers because God strengthens me. I can score touchdowns because God strengthens me. I can hit grand slams because God strengthens me. Is that what that means in context? No, we've been through Philippians. If you read the whole paragraph, what Paul is talking about is I can do all things through God who strengthens me to do what God wants me to do. That's keeping things in context. You also have to keep things in historical context. You have to look at when it was written and what's going on at that time in order to truly understand it. You also have to understand who wrote it, and you have to understand who they wrote it to, and you have to understand why they wrote it. You have to understand all these things in order to understand any book, and especially a book of the Bible. If you have a good study Bible, that will be right there at the beginning of the book. It'll tell you all that stuff. And it's absolutely fundamental. What is the historical background? Who was it addressed to? Why was it written? Now, Leviticus. Leviticus was written by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it was written to be delivered to the Israelites. And the Israelites had not yet gone into the nation that would be Israel. They're still out in the wilderness. And so God gives these laws to Moses. He says, once you enter the promised land, this is how you are to live. Now, you have to understand what was at stake here, how serious this was. If you have read Genesis and Exodus, you understand that the world is in serious trouble. To the point where at one point, Genesis 11, God says, everybody is so evil, I'm just dunking them all and hitting uh, restart, right? And so what happens is after you get through the flood in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, and then you get to Genesis 12 and you get Abraham, 
And God calls Abraham and says, Abraham, here's the deal. You're going to have lots of kids and grandkids, and they're going to make up this nation. And as he makes clear in Genesis and in Isaiah, he says, your progeny, your kids, grandkids, so forth, will make up a nation, and they will be my rescue mission to the world. That's what they're supposed to do. Israel had a mission. Their mission was not just to be holy. Their job was to reach out to those who were unholy and try to make them holy. This is the reason why God chose that strip of land that we now call Israel. I know a lot of you are really big on Israel, really like Israel. If you travel there, you might change your mind. It looks a lot like bad parts of New Mexico. It just does. God chose that strip of land, not because there was something inherently special in it, but because it was just centrally located. And so you've got, this may be blasphemy, but I'll use this iPhone to represent Israel. Um, So here's Israel. Here is Egypt. At that time, the greatest power in the east. Over here... You've got a rising power that eventually would come. You've got Assyria and Babylon and what would become Persia and so forth. You've got that over here. You've got India down here. Over here, you've got Greece, and you've got this little city-state that's going to grow called Rome. And all of these guys over here wanted to trade with these guys over here, and Egypt wanted to trade with these guys over here, and there's no Amazon Prime. So how do you trade? You get on a camel... And you put together a train, and you go through. Where do they have to go through? they got to go through Israel, which is why God chose that track to land. And so he said, I'm going to make you different from everyone else. And here's the deal. When foreigners come in, when the Egyptians come in, when the Greeks come in, when the folks from the east come in, when they come in, you see them, it is your duty to go, hey, You need a place to stay the night? You need something to eat? You need some water? And they'd be like, what? Yeah, come on in. Really? Yeah, come on in. And they'd look around and they'd see that there was no poor. There was to be, God commanded there to be no poor in Israel. He said, in fact, not only is there to be no poor, there's to be no begging because there should be no need to beg. He said, farmers, when you go out and you harvest... Anything that falls to the ground, you leave it there. You do not pick it up. That way, at the end of the day, if anybody's in need, they can come and just pick up what they need. He actually goes so far, God actually goes so far as to say this. If there is a widow or orphan within Israel, and they pray to me, and they say they've been mistreated, they're not taking care of me, God said, I will hold the entire nation responsible. There was nothing else like this in history, ever. Ever. God commanded there be a jubilee year that every seven years all debts were to be forgiven. Nothing like that anywhere. And so that when these people travel through and they saw there's no poor, these people are welcoming anybody. They're just handing over their stuff. They're, they're sharing with everyone. And they'd be like, why are you doing this? And they were commanded to say, because we worship the one true God, and so can you. That was the point. That was the point. But God said, knew. He knew, because God sees the future. He says, but here's the problem. 
you're going to be surrounded by tribes that don't believe in me and are truly barbaric. And I'm talking truly barbaric. Some of the tribes believe that come harvest time, if the weather didn't look good, they'd line up all of the new mothers with their firstborn and take the baby from their arms and throw it to a fire to appease their gods to get a good harvest. They would go out and raid other tribes and slaughter them as a human sacrifice to their gods. They had priestesses who were basically prostitutes. Prostitution was everywhere. And God said, Israel, you are my rescue plan for the world. You cannot be like them. Because he knew they'd be tempted. He knew they would be tempted. And so the laws that you see in Leviticus are there specifically for that time and place to separate Israel from their surrounding neighbors so they would not be tempted, even though God knew they would be, and they were. That's the point. Almost any law you can point to in Leviticus that looks weird, there's a reason for it. But you need to understand something. The laws given in Leviticus no longer apply to us today. They only apply to Israel then and there. Now, you're saying, well then, Matt, why are we studying Leviticus if it doesn't apply to us? Because there are still reasons. Now, before we get there, let me show you how I know the laws in Leviticus don't apply to us. Now, Paul makes this very clear, but just in case you have a problem with Paul, let's go to Jesus. Let's look at Matthew 5, 17 through 18. An often misunderstood verse. This is Jesus talking to the Jewish leaders. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, you read that and you say, oh, no, see, Matt, you're wrong. But wait, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In other words, everything they were pointing to, I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of it. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What he is saying is nothing, nothing, the destruction of the earth, that nothing could make God's law disappear until what is accomplished, that I will accomplish, is done. What does he mean by that? He means this. His death on the cross to pay for our sins, his resurrection to show that faith in him means overcoming death. And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There's a reason why after the Holy Spirit is poured down on the apostles. And they start preaching in every kind of language so that people can, all kinds of foreigners can understand them. At that point, the old law ceased to be. This is why not too much longer, Peter's up on a rooftop, and God shows him a vision and says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for this. I'm not eating that stuff. I've been raised my whole life. He was probably between 35 and 40 at the time. He's like, I have never touched pork, and I'm not about to. And God says, I said, eat it. 
And I would love to have been there, wouldn't you? And Peter's got that piece of bacon. He's looking like, ugh, 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 ugh. Oh. <laughs> the Old Testament law was fulfilled by Christ. And so all this stuff that was meant to shape Israel into the rescue mission for the world, Jesus has done himself by forgiving the sins of his people, showing that there is life after death through him, and then pouring his Holy Spirit on them so that they can grow closer to him and serve him. Israel was supposed to be in the central location where all these different countries came in and They said, we worship the one true God, you can too. Now, here's what's changed. I was going to upset some of you. The church is the new Israel. Paul makes that clear. And instead of being in a central location and having people come to us, we're to go to them. And what sets us apart is not what days we set apart. It's not what we eat or don't eat. It's not whether we have tattoos or don't have tattoos. It's not what kind of clothes we wear. It's whether or not we have faith in Jesus Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what sets us apart. Faith in the Holy Spirit. That's what sets us apart. And that should be seen in everything that you do. Everything that you do. Now, there are other reasons to to study Leviticus. One is this. One of the emphasis in Leviticus remains today, and it's this. The real center point of Leviticus is the holiness of God. And that was, that is, and that will forever be. Now, holiness, I know, often has a negative connotation in our culture because it's like, oh, you're holier than thou. When I say God is holy, here's what I mean. God is different. By I say God is different, he is all-powerful, he is all-seeing, he is all-good. There is no defect in God, ever, ever. No defect. And we see that from Genesis to Revelation, but we really see it in Leviticus. Leviticus really pushes the holiness of God. The second thing is this, and this is really important. Leviticus just like every book in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, predicts the coming of Jesus Christ, predicts the fulfillment through Jesus Christ. All of it. All of it. If you don't believe me, take a look at the words of Jesus. John 5, 39. Jesus is fussing with the Jewish leaders again. He says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, if you just follow these rules, if you just know the Bible, that you will have eternal life. You ever met somebody who knows the Bible really well but as mean as a snake? That's who Jesus is talking to. He says, you study them. Now, when he says you study the Scriptures, what's he talking about? Is there a New Testament yet? Nope. No, there's no New Testament yet. So he's talking about what? Old Testament. You see, you study the Old Testament diligently because you think that if you memorize them and live them, you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. 
So he's saying everything from Genesis to Malachi points to me. That is what Jesus is saying. Let me give you an example. We've talked about Genesis 3 a lot, how that points to Jesus, but there are other places. Let's look at Exodus 12. Throw that up there. Exodus 12, 1, if you would. Thanks. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Passover is about to happen. Do you remember what happened to Passover in Egypt? You've seen the movie, right? Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. What does John the Baptist call Jesus? The lamb of God. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be one-year-old males. That means they're grown up. Without defect. Mature, without defect. Lamb of God. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Stop there for a second. This is, this is interesting. How many of you have had kids or grandkids with pets? How quickly do you bring an animal around? Do they bond with that animal? Pretty quickly, right? So can you imagine the father brings home a lamb without defect, ties it up outside. The kids come around, they call it fluffy. Whatever. And they spend two weeks with it. Two weeks. They get to spend time with it. When all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, there goes Fluffy. Whew. Then they take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames. If you remember the story, what happens? The angel of death is coming. How is the only way to avoid death? They must be marked by the blood of the lamb. Are you seeing where I'm going here, folks? The house is where they eat the lambs, verse 8. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast, unleavened bread. What did we just have a few minutes ago? There is the lamb without defect. There is blood. There is the eating of the body of the lamb. And there is bread. What is that? That's communion. Don't tell me the Old Testament doesn't point to Jesus Christ. Again and again and again and again. Now, here's where we're going over the next few weeks. Dad, next week, Dad and I are going to alternate. Dad is going to handle stuff like the sacrifices and the festivals and the clean and unclean and the priesthood and what's going on there and how that points to Jesus Christ. He's going to handle all that kind of stuff. I'm going to handle more stuff like this. Is Leviticus harsh? Are the penalties too harsh? Is it sexist? Does it promote violence? We're going to look at all that stuff over the next few weeks. But before we get there, a few things I won't get to cover 
as we cover those big ticket items, though I know I'm going to get questions about it. What about tattoos? Again, Leviticus does not apply to us today, although, as I said, there are benefits to reading and how it points to Jesus. If you want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo. Why weren't the Israelites allowed to get a tattoo? Here's why the Israelites were not allowed to get a tattoo. Remember me talking about those pagan nations out there that were sacrificing babies and had prostitutes and and constantly raiding and raping and pillaging, all that kind of stuff? Guess what the pagan priests and priestesses had all over them? Tattoos. And so that's why God forbade it. He said, you are not to look like the pagan priests and priestesses. You're not to do that. That's why he forbid tattoos at that time and place. Today, if you want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo. I don't care. I'll never get one. And I'll tell you why. Growing up in this church, I've known a lot of guys who served in like Korea and Vietnam and got tattoos, and then I knew them in their 60s. You ever see what happens to those tattoos? Right? It's like, you know, killer becomes like iller. (laughs) Or just ill. And they start to fade. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm going to have enough problems with my paternal genes when I'm in my 60s. I don't need that. Plus, I change my mind too often. That's permanent. Right? I can't. There's no way. But yeah, if you want to get a tattoo, get a tattoo. As I said, you do not have to follow a kosher diet. Shellfish. Do you want to have shellfish? Have shellfish. Right? You can have shrimp and you can have bacon. Combine them if you like. Go right ahead. Peter is told this, and it's not only that. Jesus previewed that. Remember what Jesus said? And it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean. It's what comes out of it. He previewed that. Eat whatever you want. I'm on a diet. I can't eat anything I want, so I envy you. I've been on the keto diet for the last week. As of this morning, in seven days, I've lost 15 pounds. Now, I was not on the applause line. Hold on. Hold on. Before you all go home and go, yeah, keto. Keto works. Keto sucks. (laughs) You cannot have any sugar. You cannot have any carbs. You cannot even have certain sauces. My wife went to make chicken stir fry the other night. She's about to, she has this little sauce she was up. I saw she's grabbing the Worcestershire sauce. I said, you can't do that. You can't have Worcestershire sauce? I said, no. Why? It's got like two grams of carbs. Two grams! I said, I can't have it. You can't. You can't have more than 20 grams of carbs a day. Let me give you a little inkling of what that means. If you go to the movies and you get a small bag of popcorn, I'm not talking about the tub I usually get. I'm talking about the small bag of popcorn. You only have 20 grams of carbs a day. That's 60 grams of carbs. 60. This. This. It racks up quick. And I went to the movies the other night, and everybody around me had popcorn. I went up to the counter. I was like, what can I get you, buddy? Water. I wanted to take myself in the bathroom and give me a swirly. It works, but it stinks. The one good thing about the keto diet is this. I get to have as much bacon as I want. (laughs) Praise God for that. So eat whatever you want. 
The, the food prohibitions no longer apply. They were there for a reason at the time. Some of them were health reasons. Um, and some of it was just because, like I said, the neighboring nations to set them apart. But if you have other small questions, I'll try to sneak them in before we finish up this thing. But before we end, here's the deal. Most people look at Leviticus, Christians and non-Christians alike, and they look at the laws in Leviticus and all that kind of stuff, and they think it's barbaric. They think it's cruel. But anybody who thinks that has never read through the entire book. They haven't looked at things like the year of Jubilee where debts are forgiven. They've never looked at that you're to treat the foreigner well and to take care of them. There's no to be no widows and orphans. All because they haven't read that in the Old Testament. They haven't read it. For example, they haven't read this. Let me take a look at Leviticus 19, 1 through 4. Let me see if the end of this especially looks familiar. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord God, am holy. See that? That's again and again in Leviticus. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbath. Sabbath also gone. No longer. Although... Do you want to know why God put the Sabbath in? It was not just you go to church. That's not it, because they didn't go to church on the Sabbath back then. They did not do that typically. Not back then. There were festivals for that and all kinds of stuff. Sabbaths were primarily so that if you were a working man who didn't own property, you got a day off. If you were a working class person your owner could not demand that you worked seven days a week, 14 hours, that you, you couldn't, couldn't do that. You got a day off, and the Lord commanded it. That's the primary reason for the Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Now, skip to verse 13, if you would, please. 19, 13. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight, because they're supposed to be paid daily. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. When he says, fear your God, he says, if you mistreat the handicapped, I'm coming for you. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. In other words, treat everybody the same. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Don't gossip. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. In other words, you got something to say, say it. Don't go around festering. Have the conversation. Now see if you recognize this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. That sound harsh to you? See, people never read those parts. They never look at them. God gave all these laws so that the Israelites were to be different. We, too, are to be different from a pagan culture, an increasingly pagan culture culture. How? If we have faith in Jesus Christ and we possess the Holy Spirit, 
we should have a couple things. Chief among them, peace and happiness. We've seen that. We studied Ephesians, right? Paul says, I'm content wherever. I'm content in this jail cell because no matter what they take away from me, I'd have salvation. We're to be peaceful. We're to be happy. Do you know that right now it is a multi-billion dollar industry for non-Christians to try to teach non-Christians how to have peace and happiness? It's a multi-billion dollar dollar industry. There's some guy on ABC who's got an app, and it's like 10% happier, something like that. And he says you can be 10% happier basically by following stoicism. Do you know what stoicism teaches? If you really get into stoicism, which has become really popular, the heart of stoicism, which comes from Marcus Aurelius, is this. Basically, feel nothing. Do you want to feel nothing? I had a Stoic tell me, we, we were in this crowd of people, and this woman was crying because her son had died, and another woman was crying because her grandson had died, and there was a Buddhist Stoic over there, and he goes, why don't they just get over it? Is that how you want to be? I'd rather be miserable and love people than feel nothing. And this guy's like, just divorce yourself of passion. Divorce yourself of passion. Never become frustrated. I'm like, guy, come drive with me through New Boston. Let's see how that goes. From meditation to medication, we are, the outside culture is looking for peace, and the, they're paying through the nose for it, and ironically, it's there through faith in Jesus Christ, free of charge. The Bible teaches that only true peace comes from the gospel and the Holy Spirit. The world needed it then, and it really needs it now. You need to have faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit to have peace and happiness and take it out amongst the world and be different. And be different that way. We've tried so hard for so long in the church to make us different by, well, why, I don't drink that. I, I don't listen to that. I don't watch that. It has nothing to do with it. it. has everything to do with, I know that no matter what happens to me today, I know that if the doctor comes, for, comes in and says it's stage four cancer. I know that if my spouse walks out the door, I know that if I lose my job, I am going to heaven to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And that should give you peace and happiness no matter what. Amen? I'm done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that what we see in the Old Testament, that it points forward to Jesus is not just a parlor trick. You're not just showing off. You're showing that you see the future, you know the future, and you control the future. It's all in your control, and it's all going to end the way you want it to end. And we should take comfort in that. And we should be grateful for your offer of grace. And we should take it freely and pray for your spirit. Grow closer to you. Live in peace and happiness in such a way that others want what we have and we can lead them to you. Just as the Israelites were asked by foreigners when they 
crossed their borders. Why are you this way? Because we worship the one true God. May we have such peace and happiness and faith that people come to us and say, why are you this way? We say, because I worship the one true God, and you can too. May this be our mission. And unlike Israel that failed to accomplish its mission, we know with your Holy Spirit, we cannot fail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.